NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now. Thanks for joining us once again here at NapaBroadcasting.com and our continuing coverage of this year's Napa Valley Film Festival, our conversations with filmmakers, with writers, producers, directors that are going to be part of this year's festival. It is my pleasure right now to be joined by Catherine Eaton. She's the director of a narrative feature that will be in the festival entitled The Sounding, and it is my pleasure to welcome Catherine Eaton here. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. It's a real pleasure to to be chatting with you, and I'm very excited about coming to Napa. Well, it's great to have you here, and we look forward to seeing you here. Tell us a little bit about the sounding. First of all, give us a little thumbnail of the movie, and then we'll talk more about uh, how it came to be. Sure. Um, The film is about a woman who is silent most of her life, and she lives on an island off the coast of Maine, um, uh, where she's raised by her grandfather, who is played by Harris Ewan, who reads to her voraciously from Emerson and Foucault and Shakespeare. And one day he's reading to her from a book of Shakespeare and he loses his voice because he's dying. And she picks up the book of Shakespeare and she begins to read to him as a gift to him on his deathbed. And then she realizes she can weave a new language out of these words to say to him what she wants to say to him before he dies. And so she creates this strange acquired language woven from a line from Henry V and a line from King Lear and a line from Romeo and Juliet to mean things now for her to be able to express herself now to him before he goes. And a neuropsychiatrist who was brought to the island to protect her hears her and thinks that it's a cry for help. And she spends the rest of the film fighting for the right to speak the language she chooses. So it's really a film that's about otherness and about uh, championing otherness and what it means to choose a different path in our society today um, and, uh, and what happens when we do that and, and, how, and how society responds to that. In addition to being the director of the film, you're the co-writer. Talk a little bit about how the screenplay for this evolved. Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's some crazy stories behind it. But um, yeah, I co-wrote the film with Brian Delaney, uh, who's also a producer on the project and will be in, in Napa with me. And um, the actual, the character, where the character came from, I was trained as an actor. That's, that's what I studied before I became a director. I was an actor full-time. I worked on Broadway and uh, did television. And, um, and I was out in L.A., and I got a phone call that my mother had uh, broken her ankle. And my brother was, uh, you know, had a real job and was married and my sister was in college. And so I was the natural choice to come home and take care of her. And I thought I would be there for two weeks. And because of complications, I was there six months later, still helping out, working on a farm to help pay the medical bills, which was a mercy job because I can't grow anything. <laughs> and um, uh, I came home one day and I was covered in mud and muck from the farm. And I, and I gave my mom dinner and I, and I helped her to bed and I pulled out my complete works of Shakespeare. And I just craved being surrounded by language and the, and the poetry that I loved. And I started pulling out the pieces that I loved and hanging them on the walls. And by the morning, the house was covered with Shakespeare and my mom was understandably concerned, (laughs) but, um, but I had started to see, it's very well known that in Shakespeare, there's a lot of themes and I'd started to see very specific connections between lines from the different plays and the different pieces I loved. And I, and I was curious about why I had needed that language in that moment, a contemporary woman needing that language so much at that moment in my life and what it might mean for a woman who might choose to speak only this language. And so the character of Liv was born. And then there was a journey um, between that and it becoming a, a feature film play. It, it, we did it at, I, it, was, it was initially a, a made into a, a, a one-woman show. Just the last 10 minutes of the film were a one-woman show. And um, 
I took it all over. I took it to Lincoln Center and Carnegie Hall and toured it across Europe and played in big theaters and in churches with three people and a dog that we recruited from the cemetery next door who were paying their respects. And, um, and eventually I brought it back to New York and I, and I had a friend who was the artistic director of the Roger Smith Hotel on 47th and Lexington in New York. They have an artistic director and they have a glassed in storefront space where you perform inside and the sound is piped out onto the street. And he asked me to perform this, this play there, this, the last 10 minutes of the film. And I said no initially because I thought it was, um, it was a, it was a challenging play and I wanted the audience to buy a ticket and sit down and, and demand a story be told. And, uh, and he wore me down and said, why are you in New York if you're not going to do crazy, brave things? And I agreed with him. Thank goodness. <laughs> and we reconceived the play to be this hyper white, super modern space with fluorescent lighting. And inside was a woman in a gown scrawled in Shakespeare. And it became a kind of cult hit. The sidewalks became packed and the police had to come because it was actually a fire hazard and cars would stop at the intersection and not continue to move forward. And stockbrokers would come and watch, but they'd be on their phones the whole time. And pizza delivery guys were, were watching and their pizzas were getting cold and homeless people were banging on the glass saying, I'll get you out. I'll get you out. And every night this man came in a tuxedo. Um, and uh, I thought he was a caterer because he wore a tuxedo every single day. And I didn't know anyone who did that. But he always had a peach-colored Financial Times under his arm, and so the guys in the back jokingly called him the financier, and they said, oh, did the financier come tonight? And the last night of the play, he waited for me afterwards and said, I want to turn your play into a feature film. <laughs> and he became the seed money and the, and the first investor in the film and changed my life. Um, and we've become very close friends with him and his family, and, and uh, now I'm a director and a writer and an actor, and my life has changed in an extraordinary way, and I wouldn't go back. And what was it that, that attracted him to it? What did he see in it as a film? He said that he was so fascinated and captivated by the character that he felt that he wanted more people to have exposure to her and to see her and to see this performance and um, the story of this woman. But he didn't, we, we, he didn't necessarily, it wasn't, it wasn't that he wanted the play directly translated onto the screen. And in fact, that's, we didn't do that. We, we, it's a, it's a much bigger story um, in the film. You know, there's a very large cast and, and lots of locations and so forth. And it's, and it's the story of how she starts out silent and then takes on this language and what happens to her because of that language. And it's all contemporary. Um, but he, he fell in love with something in the story. And I think there is something about the story that does speak to people it's a very much a story about what happens if you stay true to yourself, really true to yourself against the odds and against what you're being told. And, and what we do about that as a society, when we run up against people who don't fit the mold of what, what, of what works inside of the structures we've created, how do we respond to that? And, and so um, it, it speaks to people. People are very moved by it, which has been an incredible experience for me. I mean, we, um, the, my co-writer and I have been taking the film around to festivals in the United States and the response has just been incredible. We've, uh, I've, I've been floored by it, to be honest. It's been a true joy because audiences have been so respect, receptive to it and, um, and so curious and open and interested about it. And it's, and it's touched people from all different walks of life, college educated, not college educated, you know, um, 20 somethings, 70 somethings, we get emails and fan poetry <laughs> and fan fiction and fan art. It's just been incredible, really, really incredible journey for me. And talk a little bit about making the leap 
to directing and that experience for you? Mm. Sure, yeah. It's it's been amazing directing the sounding is my first feature film, um, and I had never directed anything prior to this. I uh, this was my first first um, uh, adventure into that world. What I like to say, people are often curious about acting and directing in the same film because I also act in the film, and um, acting is what I was was trained on and raised in, and, and my whole history is in that. So I've been around storytelling for my entire professional life. Um, and, uh, and stories have always been a really important part of my life from childhood. So I think they're, they're, um, they're profound and, and valuable and they teach us what our potential is as a, as a society and also as an individual. And so I, I've always been in love with them, but just from, from the perspective of being inside of them. So, um, getting to direct this has been extraordinary in order to direct the feature. I did direct a short film, uh, that I acted in to see if I could both act and direct. Uh, we didn't release that film because it was the same premise as the feature. And it was the most creatively rewarding experience of my life. The gift of acting and directing in, in the same project is that you never have to fight to be inside the story. There's a real challenge for first time feature directors um, because feature film sets, particularly indie feature film sets can be very chaotic. There are a thousand questions coming at you all the time. Do you want the red shoes or the blue shoes? Do you want the crane shot or the dolly shot? We're running out of time. We're running out of this location. Your star talent won't come out of their trailer. These things happen all day long, every day. But the minute that, that you have to call action on that set and, and you absolutely must 100% as the director be inside that story and know exactly what you need from every single second because every second that's on screen is so hard won in the end. It's, it's um, such a, uh, an incredible gathering of, of, of a, you know, collective imagination of your designers and your actors and your, your DPs and your crew and your, you know, your editors and your marketing team. And it, it's just, um, they're so, you, you fight to earn every single second on that screen. So when you are rolling and when you are gathering the seconds that may be up on that screen, you need to know exactly what you need emotionally and, and, and action wise from what's happening inside the film. And as an actor, that's a talent that you exercise all the time. It's something that you do all the time is understanding how to just drop back into a story and not be distracted by outside or exterior needs. And as an actor in this particular film, it was incredibly, uh, an incredible gift for me because I was, I was constantly inside the film anyway. So the directing just became this kind of joyous opportunity on top of that, where I found that I was very aesthetically oriented. I'm a very visual person, which is something that I didn't realize before. And I was really heavily involved with my amazing DP, David Cruda, who just won a Best Cinematography Award and my, for this film, for the sounding, and with my uh, production designer. And my, we have aerial photography. I was really involved with all of that, the shot list, listing and the lighting and so forth. And that was a gift. It was a joy because those were all new things for me and things that I was, um, that I was uh, working hard to learn and to, to step up to the kind of talents and um, creatives that we were able to bring on to the project because we brought on a lot of extremely experienced people. We were really lucky in the crew and the cast that we were able to convince to, um, to be a part of this journey with us uh, on. So, 
So yeah, directing and acting is an incredible, but they're both facets of storytelling and so is writing. And I think that's why there are so many director writers. And now there's a growing contingent of actor directors and actor director writers, because it's all parts of the same toolkit, which is, which is storytelling. How different do you expect it to be when you ultimately direct something you're not in? Well, I, in some of these scenes, I wasn't in. I didn't act in them, right? I was, right. I was there, and I, I was acting in other scenes during that day, but there were scenes that I didn't act in. And, and the, the <laughs> I think it's, it's different in that you're exercising different parts of that storytelling skill set, or, or perhaps just you, you get to remove one, which is actually being on camera yourself. Um, I think the biggest difference is time management, to be honest. I think that's the most significant difference. When you're acting and directing, you do have to, I would often be, it would just be myself and my, and my HMU, my hair and makeup uh, person, would be the first people to set at 3 a.m. so that she could put me through uh, wardrobe and hair and makeup and I could be ready to, to step into a scene at any point. And then my crew would arrive and my DP would arrive and we would light the scene and set up the scene. That's not traditional. Traditionally, a director would arrive either when the crew and the DP arrived or sometimes even after they've set up the first shot. So, um, so there's, so I was the first person on set and the last person to leave set and, and, um, the days were incredibly, incredibly, incredibly long. Um, and it was very intense because there's never a moment of rest, but I think that, um, I'm very excited to direct things that I'm not acting in and, and I'm, I've recently acted in something I'm not directing again for, for, um, for the first time on screen since the film and it was a total joy. So I think that once you sort of, um, embrace the different forms, whether it's together or individually. Um, you, you know, there's a, there's a facility that happens with being able to move from one to the other. That's what I believe anyway at this point. Catherine Eaton, we look forward to seeing her film The Sounding here at the Napa Valley Film Festival. Catherine, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if anyone is curious about screening times, they can be seen at thesoundingfilm.com. Great. Thank you, Catherine. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.